Welcome to Radical Personal Finance, the show dedicated to providing you with the knowledge, skills, insight, and encouragement you need to live a rich and meaningful life now while building a plan for financial freedom in 10 years or less. Today, my guest is Manher Patel. Manher heard me uh, talk on the show about how I admire immigrants to the United States, and I always am interested in their stories. And he said, well, I'm an immigrant, and I've got an interesting story. So after a little back and forth, I invited him on the show. So Manher, welcome to Radical Personal Finance. Thank you, Joshua, for inviting me. <laughs> I've been interested in this, and, and I think you are originally from India, right? Is that correct? Yes. Okay. So yes, correct. I'm interested in this because uh, the person that I heard that st- the statistic I've cited on the show before uh, was from uh, uh, where I've said that uh, an immigrant to the United States is four times more likely to become a millionaire than a natural-born citizen. And by the way, I have not independently verified that uh, recently, so I could be that could be slightly mistaken. But who I heard that from was an associate of of Zig Ziglar years ago, and he used to do this work with with Zig, and he was an immigrant from 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 India. I forget his name. Uh, I think I want to say it was Krish, something like that, something. But he had arrived from India with nine dollars in his pocket, and he told the the story of how he had uh, arrived from India with nine dollars in his pocket, and um, and uh, and gone from there, and and had done very well. and And I'd love to see a, a review of uh, of even the Indian culture, and I'd love to see some of the statistics broken out because the Indian culture seems to be you guys seem to be incredibly productive at building wealth. So re- welcome to welcome. To the show, we're gonna. I'm gonna pump you with questions today and learn all of your secrets <laughs> as, <laughs> a, as an Indian immigrant. So let's start with a little bit of your story. Um, walk us through how you wound up in the United States. So share with yeah. us. Yeah, go ahead. Sure. So I I was born and raised in India, and you know uh, I finished my schooling in India, and after I I completed my twelfth grade in India. I was jokingly, you know, telling my dad, you know, I should I should go outside of India to study something, and I want to study medicine. So it was very difficult to get admission in India, and the cheapest option was to go to Poland or Russia. So I'm like, oh, Russia sounds good to me. So I went there, new country. I didn't know language or anything. I, you know, I went there in 2005, and then I stayed there for six years in Russia and completed my med school in 2011. So. After finishing my med school, uh, there were a lot of challenges back in Russia to cook our own food as I'm vegetarian and uh, also, you know, to speak Russian because you have to learn Russian there because you are living in Russia. So that was the another thing which was very uh, crazy back in Russia. And then after I finished my med school, I decided that I want to move to U.S. because of better life and opportunities here in U.S. So I started preparing for my boss exam for U.S. So after I gave my first board exam, I I came to U.S. I had visitor visa back from Russia, where I got 10-year visitor visa. So I came back to U.S. to give my uh, first exam I gave in India. Then second exam I came to U.S. to give because that's the exam you can only give in U.S. Mm-hmm. So during that time, I was also looking uh, for, you know, to find a, uh, a spouse in U.S. because I want to move to U.S. So... Fortunately, I was able to find uh, my wife, uh, whom we dated, whom I dated like for six months back in time, and then we decided to get married, and then eventually we got married in India in December 2012. How did you meet her? Uh, I met through a matrimonial website. It's called Shadi.com. It's specifically for Indian people. Okay. Uh, yeah. How do you Shadi.com? How do you spell that? Shadi. Shadi. S H A D I. It's what? like Match.com. What does it mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, is it in? Is that in Hindi? What does it mean? 
Yeah, shadi means wedding in our language. Okay, so, awesome. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's, a, that's a great way to meet, uh, it sounds like a perfect way to meet an Indian girl uh, in the United States. So keep going. I was just curious. Yeah. So after that, you know, everything started, my immigration process and everything. So after my wedding, I moved to U.S., and I completed my immigration process in U.S. instead of in India because when somebody applies from U.S., it takes like one year to come to U.S., but I already had visited visa. So I just came to U.S. and then my wife applied here, everything, and it was a very smooth process here. In six months, I got my green card. And by that time, it was time to apply for my residency. And I, it's like not like applying like general job. You know, you have to pay money for each hospital. It costs $25 after nine hospitals you apply. So I applied like 400 hospitals, which cost me more than $7,000 just to apply for my residency. And I wasn't working and my wife barely started working. So, and it was a huge disappointment because I didn't get any interviews for my residency. And I was like, what I'm going to do? Then I started doing this externship at a physician office. And also I started doing research at University of Illinois in psychiatry because that was something which interests me. And I was doing this free work for more than one and a half year and still no, no way to get residency. So again, I applied for residency next year, which was 2014 now. Again, I did the same thing. I wasted more than seven to $8,000, but no luck. And I was tired of working free for physician or the university. So I decided to get a job and Nobody would give a job. There was funny thing. Whenever I apply even for pharmacy technician job, they say you're overqualified. So, <laughs> so I'm like, <laughs> how how were you supporting? Uh, how were you supporting yourself during this time? No, my wife was supporting me. She okay. was working. She's nurse, so she was making pretty decent. And we used to live in like two bedroom condo in Chicago. And in Chicago, you know, it's one thousand dollar for two bedroom condo. So it's not bad as California, where I live, where I pay two times more than that. <laughs> <laughs> Keep going. Yeah, so I, I found a job on internet and I moved to California and then my job. So what happened was we left my wife's job for $30 there, what she was making there. And we came here for $19 job here. So we moved for $19 job from Chicago to California and our moving expense was three to $4,000 or whatever. I said, you know, let's move for a better future. And then to transfer my wife's license from state of Illinois to state of California, it took them four months. I cannot believe that. My wife went to U.S. school. She has already licensed in state of Illinois. Just to transfer the license, it took four months. So she was just sitting home for four months. Yeah. So there was crazy part in California. And then eventually she got her license and then we, she started working too. So then, then what happened at my work, like there was uh, mostly all our were doctors, but who didn't, uh, you know, went to residency because all were looking for some other job opportunities. So we had this specific exam for coding, which I do right now, coding and documentation uh, review for the hospitals. So as soon as you pass the exam, they raise you. So my money went from $19 to $30 in say less than six months. My salary went up that so, much. So hold on, hold on just one moment uh, mm -hmm. to make sure that I understand. So you couldn't gain access to a residency. So you took the exam to be a medical coder and then you were working on that on the side. Is that accurate? Yes, yes, that's accurate. And so this is, uh, is this a work from home thing? I don't know much about medical coding. I've heard people talk about how it can be a great work from home opportunity. Tell me, tell me what is medical coding and how does that work? So medical coding is basically, you know, whenever you go to a physician, right, they treat you, right? For example, they treat you for hypertension or any disease, but you are paid based on what hospital submits to Medicare. So for hypertension, there is specific code, for example, 410 or 420, whatever. So hospital has to submit that code to Medicare or any insurance company to get the reimbursement. So if they don't submit their codes, they don't get the money. 
So what we do is we generate those codes based on the, you know, documentation of the physician. So we generate like in each like coding sheet, we have like 20 to 50 codes, depending on what patient have. And based on that, we get reimbursed, hospital get reimbursed for those things. So this allowed you to earn some income while you were still looking for a job as a physician uh, to be able to support yourself. Yes. Great. All right. Keep going. Yeah. So after that, you know, and my old work was like, you know, I, I wasn't enjoying there much after one and a half year of work. So I decided to find another job and eventually I landed in L.A. in one of the university here with the same job. But of course, like the pay was <laughs> two times more than my initial pay. So I'm like, OK, I'm going to get this job definitely. And so far, I, I joined the job this year, February. And it's going so far pretty good here. I like the university because of the benefits. And, you know, before I was in corporate setting, but right now I am in hospital setting. So it's much more enjoyable in hospital settings. And so you're working as a physician now? No, no, no. I'm not working yet, but I'm working as a document specialist for the hospital. So basically what we do is we review the hospital charts and we try to improve the documentation there. Got it. Excuse me, I misunderstood. Do you no, that's fine. are you still on the path to be able to mm-hmm. use um, your medical uh, education and licensing? I don't have license yet, but yeah, I'm definitely able to use my medical background because what we do is we review and we try to query physician regarding the specificity of the diagnosis. When we query them, the in like the end result is reimbursement increases in that way for the hospital. So yeah, it's really beneficial for the hospitals to hire us. Why do you think you haven't been able to get a job as a physician? Sorry, you were cutting off there, Joshua. No problem. Why do you think you haven't been able to get a job as a physician? See, uh, it's very, it's highly competitive. And I will give you the statistic. Like last year, there were 26,000 open spots, right? And you can only apply once a year, which is in September. And you, you know in next year in March. And there were 26,000 open spots. And there were more than 50,000 applicants. And of course, the first preference is U.S. graduates. So who went to school to U.S. medical school? They are the first preference. And then other are the FMGs, which who went to Caribbean for two years and two years in U.S. And third are us who are international medical graduate. So definitely, you know, I am on the third number there. So that's why I think it's difficult for me to get in. Got it. Got it. So, so tell me about the finances of this way because it sounds like a lot of knocking on doors that haven't opened i mean you were spent based upon the numbers you were telling me you're spending you know several thousand dollars five or seven thousand dollars trying to make all these applications did you uh, did you have money when you moved here to the U.S.? Uh, I definitely didn't have money when I moved, but you know my wife was supporting me because she she started working right, so she was supporting me in that way, and we were able to save that money because we know that every year in September I have to apply for my residency. So for example, this year I have to apply, but of course I won't be applying that many hospitals. So I just need like two thousand dollars for this year, which I already saved up for my this year residency application. And over the last few years, have you been able to build savings, uh, even though you are still struggling to get into the position that you want to be in? Are you back? Yes, Joshua. Great. So over the last uh, few years, have you been able to save money while you've also been working towards yes. your medical? Can you hear me? Uh, can you hear me now? 
Your voice is cutting off. Okay, let me just just wait yes. a moment here. Hold on a second. Mm -hmm. All right, can you hear me now? Yes. All right, let's try again. Over the last few years, have you been able to save money while you have been trying to get into a, a medical physician position? Or have you just basically been treading water? <laughs> so here is the funny thing. I, I wasn't able to save anything until I moved to California in 2014. And not in 2014 even I didn't save anything. But in 2015, when I applied for my residency again, you know, I started reading about finance a lot, a lot, like all the finance blog and, you know, listening to podcasts. So I was thinking, like, I should learn about tech stuff because it seems interesting and complex. And what I'm supposed to do after I come home from job, I work for eight hours a day. I am free weekends and I am free after I come from home. I just go to gym for one hour, cook my food, then still I have three, four hours left in my day. So I'm like, OK, let me read like this finance thing. So once I started reading, I learned about 401k. So I started maxing out my 401k. I started in September 2015. So my goal is to put $692.32 each pay period for me and my spouse. So it comes around $3,000 a month. I mean, uh, so $36,000 a year. And if you divide by 26, is, uh, sorry, 12 months, it should be $3,000 a month. So that's my goal for now. Congratulations, man. That's awesome. That'd be a great step. Uh, and you're Thank working you. now towards early financial independence. Is that right? Yes, my goal is that. Mm -hmm. And when do you hope to be financially independent? So, so here is the thing. In five years, I want to at least, you know, accumulate like $500,000 so that if I wish I cannot work, my wife, my wife's job is clinical. So, of course, she loves her job and she wants to keep working. So, that's fine. So, right now, my goal is to save anywhere between five to $6,000 a month, which I'm, I'm close to $4,000 a month, but which will only get me 348000 in five years if I see compounding a 7%. And I right now have $52,000 invested. So if I increase that to $6,000 a month with my principal of $52,000 based on 7% compounding in uh, five years, I will be able to get $586,000 approximately. So I hope to you know, increase my savings to $6,000 a month so I can get around yeah, my magical number in five years. How long now have you been in the United States? Uh, three and a half years. And you've been able to, uh, you don't have any debt, you've been able to save $50,000 and you're now working hard uh, towards uh, five years with the goal of, of having half a million dollars. Uh, do you, mm -hmm. How much are your monthly living expenses? My, my expenses are actually pretty high because I live in uh, California in SoCal and it, just my rent is $2,100. So my bad expenses are $3,500 a month. That's great. Do you think that people from India are more productive at becoming wealthy in the United States than uh, either natural-born U.S. citizens or uh, from other ethnic groups? Uh, I, I think so because uh, the thing is the people who come from India to U.S., they, they already have their mindset that they have to work hard to make money in U.S. And they work like long hours. Like, you know, I, I have a couple of friends who have business right now and they did a minimum wage job for seven to eight years. But they did like two or three jobs and saved up money and bought the business in cash. So I know people like that, too, who did like crazy work and got business in U.S. in seven to eight years by working two or three jobs. So people who come from India are very like, uh, they are like, their mind is already set that they have to work hard because they are going to a new country and they have to make money. So, yeah. 
it's been my experience, and I can't prove this with data. It's just been my observations that um, people from India with the Indian culture tend to be drawn towards uh, starting or running uh, a business of some kind. Uh, I haven't found that many of them have wanted to participate in things like the 401k system, investing in large publicly traded companies. Do you think that's true? Yes, that's definitely true because I haven't met uh, any Indian so far in my family or anywhere who believes in 401k and who has even little bit knowledge about 401k. They just believe to have savings as a cash money and then buy some business down the line. That's what that's what, that's majority of people Indian believes. Why do you think that is? Because uh, because I don't know because it's like sometimes their family has the business or their friends has business so they they want to you know copy or replicate them so they're like okay let me save this much money like for example okay let me save two hundred fifty thousand dollar to buy like one million one million dollar model or something which would be twenty percent down payment and based on that one I can buy hotel so or any business like Subway or Papa John so they they just want to keep saving and saving and once they have enough money they will jump into business. The stereotype, uh, and uh, I don't know if it's true or not, but the stereotype is that there are a few different types of businesses that seem to be dominated by people from India, uh, Indian immigrants. Uh, mm-hmm. A few of them would be like the 7-Elevens. Uh, for me, locally, most of my Dunkin' Donuts seem to be run by Indian families. Uh, also, hotels, like you mentioned. Do you think uh, first? Are this? Do you think the stereotypes are accurate? Are these business? Are these uh, industries dominated by Indians, uh, or do you think it's a miss? Uh, or do you think it's inaccurate? No, definitely true. Dunkin' Donuts and hotel business are mainly dominated by Indians. And because I, I used to live in Chicago before, so I know like majority of Dunkin' in Chicago are owned by Indians. Majority of them. Why do you think that is? Why, why, why is? What is it about the Indian culture where uh, Indian immigrants to the U.S. are drawn to businesses like Dunkin' Donuts or like running and buying and running hotels? Yeah, because they, they think one thing, okay, most of them when they came to U.S. like 20, 30 years back, they weren't that educated. So they are thinking, you know, let me work like very hard for now, five to six years, you know, save some money and buy business. And once they got one business, they see how much money they can make. So they keep buying more and more. Like I know I know one person who has like more than five subway with him because he came from India. He's as old as me. He's 28 year old, but he has five subway because he came to U.S. He's like, I'm not going to study or do anything, you know. So he saved up for a couple of years, got for subway. And once you have one business, whenever there is another business nearby there who want to sell, like, for example, Dunkin, they will offer to the Dunkin guy or the person who owns the business nearby because it's easier for them to control in that way. Tell me about, are there any Indian customs surrounding money? Uh, For example, I'm thinking of things like uh, lending within the Indian community or or things like that. Are there any Indian customs surrounding money that you think would be useful or or helpful to the audience of Radical Personal Finance to think about? Yeah, yeah. Indian do lend the money to each other based on the, you know, so uh, based on the families, they know each other. Like, for example, if somebody knows for somebody knows them for a long time, they will give cash money to them. Okay, you need money, take $10,000, for example, but you have to repay me in one year. But I don't like the system at all because I'm, yeah, I, I, I don't like the system. But yeah, there is this system which is integral to Indian community in US or anywhere where there are Indians. Why don't you like the system? <laughs> because I, I had some bad experience like lending some money back in days in med school to my friend. And it's very hassle, you know, when they don't repay you on their time and you got to keep them asking and asking. So for, from that point, I decided, you know, I won't jump in this kind of things. 
Is there so the reason I'm interested in these uh, in this topic is because a lot of times when you get into an ethnic subgroup, there are different systems of accountability. So as I've observed in some systems in the United States, uh, your credit score in working through the credit reporting agencies is the primary way of establishing somebody's trustworthiness as a borrower. But when you get into an ethnic subgroup where you're getting a loan from from somebody to someone else, uh, there's not uh, uh, you. You don't have that same system. Um, you know, your your relative or your friend is not reporting you to the credit reporting agencies right. as being delinquent on your debt. So, what are the mechanisms in when borrowing and when lending money? What are the mechanisms for accountability to make sure that you're being paid back? So, basically, for example, if if I want to like if you if you if you ask money for from me and I don't know that well, so you have to find some person who knows me very well, and that person can vouch for you. That's the only way they get the money. And then if you don't repay, then there's the uh, public shaming, basically. The, your, your reputation within your community group is damaged. Is that, yes. is that accurate? Yes, accurate. Okay. Um, what other lessons uh, would you like to share with my audience from looking at the United States and looking at your experience within the context of being an immigrant uh, going on almost four years now? What are the lessons would you like to share with my audience to help them win with money? So number one is like, don't be scared to move because I moved in Chicago two times and I moved in California two times because of better job opportunity. And probably by next year, I'm going to again move out of California because it's ridiculous expensive to live here. So number one is don't be afraid to move and take a new opportunity or job because it always gives, at least if it doesn't increase your money, it will increase your skills and which down the line can build money for you. And you will know a lot of people. That's the number one. Number two is like study something about finance. It's very easy to put money in 401k. If you're, if you're eligible, then traditional IRA, of course, and then Roth IRA or whatever, or just finances. Study online. There is a lot of free material, you know, to get started with and that's what I did and I'm very happy this year I start I mean I started last year September but in this year I already had 18,000 in my 401k and it's growing by 12% actually to tell you the truth so I'm like pretty happy about that you know I never imagined that I would be able to save this much money and have this much growth in short time so of course you know read online ask family and friends if you don't understand anything and you know sometimes things seems that it won't work out won't work out but it eventually works out in long term so for example me I'm still trying for my physician. Uh, this will be my fourth year trying. And if I don't match this year, again, I'm going to try next year. I'm not going to quit. I'm going to keep at trying and trying because that is what I want eventually down the line. So that's, that's what I can tell from my experience. Have you ever regretted uh, moving from Russia to the United States? Uh, no. <laughs> Just because it's easier to be a vegetarian in the United States than Russia or, yeah. or for other reasons? <laughs> no, other reasons. I do have family and friends here. So it's pretty much convenient for me and my dad who lives in india he also wanted that i would i would settle in u.s that's what he wanted for me so yeah final question do you interact with your uh financially do you interact financially with your family living still in india yeah i interact them but they of course they don't know about 401k and you know ira and stuff so that's not point of our conversation but yeah i interact 
they mean the way they understand me you know like my parents understand me that hey i'm saving this much i'm hoping to save much and just general numbers but nothing very detailed because they don't have knowledge about finance in us so. but let, let me be more clear what i meant by interact was are you sending them money uh, are they supporting you have you supported them oh, do you no. intend to bring them to the united states how how is your financial relationship between your family at home versus here Okay so normally yeah i don't ask money from my parents but they some when they were when whenever they need they ask from me and I, of course i send them so whenever they need like but it's not big amount it's like 2 to 3000 dollar at a time once a year probably so whenever they ask me that they want to build something there you know or do something in our farm you know build a fence or something then i send them money so it's not a big deal yeah but yeah in in our in our culture and community when parents ask you you cannot deny them that's the that's the whole thing in our community indian culture you cannot deny to your parents do you think that uh will you ever uh, try to bring them to the united states or will they stay in india no no definitely once i become us citizen which will be next year after i become us citizen i will definitely you know apply for them and they can come to us in i think 6 6 it takes 6 to 10 months for them to come from india to here whole immigration process yeah it's it's uh it's so interesting almost every uh us immigrant for whom i've done financial planning has those line items on their budget that us americans don't generally think about and in its support for family back home and i really admire that uh i really admire the the support of parents the support of extended family i really admire um that immigrant mentality uh i find it so lacking on the us american culture uh but it also comes with a whole different range of considerations that you have to consider for financial planning of thinking about how do i prioritize my goals and how do i also care for my family and what are my responsibilities uh, uh responsibilities there uh do you think that um do do you think that you'll be able to pass along some of your values to your children or are you worried about them looking just like all of the other uh american children around with regard to how they handle money <laughs> so so for that i had been thinking for quite a bit i don't have children yet but uh, down the line once i have my goal is to take them india every year for their summer vacation so by the time i hope i will be financially independent and i can take their whole summer vacation them to india so they can they can learn our culture and things in india so that then i can you know then i can tell them about finance and then i can teach about finance and things to to them but they have to go outside of us to learn those things that's what i believe for now but yeah you never know <laughs> <laughs> well man here this has been great anything else that you want to share before we wrap up here yeah we we haven't talked about travel hacking i do a bunch of travel hacking yeah tell us so, what you've learned <laughs> so my credit score is more than 750 for me and my spouse and i do apply like okay three credit cards for me every three month and three for my wife so six cards every three month so i have been traveling literally for like 22 dollar wherever i want to go in us or even hawaii so because i use my points and miles so yeah that's the way i travel how have you learned about uh, these skills Yeah so before I learned about finance you know I was just as I as I told you as I mentioned earlier I started my job and I had a lot of free time I mean you just work 8 hours a day here right and then you come home and you have free time so what are you supposed to do so I started reading about this travel blogs and it says like hey, if you apply this card you get 50000 points you know and I'm pretty good at paying my bills on time I have zero uh, late payment so far in one and a half two years so I'm pretty good with that. So I'm like, okay, let me take the benefit of system. You know, if they allow here, then why not? 
<laughs> That's awesome, and you're not uh, and you're not even a citizen of the United States yet, but you can still access yeah. the travel hacking system. It's uh, uh, awesome. Um, anything else that you want to share? No, that, that's that's so far I have, you know, achieved in US. So, well, I'm excited for I'm excited for your future, and I hope that you'd be able to um, gain access to a residency program. And I'm sure that if you continue uh, if you continue forward, I'm sure that you'll find an opportunity. And I congratulate you on all your progress uh, on all your progress thus far, taking advantage of the opportunities that you do have uh, in front of you while working towards uh, what you really want to have. And thank you for sharing your story. Uh, thank you for sharing your story with my audience to inspire them. And welcome to the United States. May your American dream be rich and fruitful for a very long time. Thank you, Joshua, so much. Thank you for listening to this episode of Radical Personal Finance. If you're interested in building financial freedom for yourself and your family, please subscribe to the podcast with our free mobile app so you don't miss a single episode. Just search the app store on your mobile device for Radical Personal Finance and download our free app, which also contains an archive of every past episode of the show. If you have received value, and financial benefit from the content of today's show, please consider becoming a supporting patron. Radical Personal Finance is listener-supported, and it's your direct financial support which enables me to bring you this content. In addition to your voluntarily paying for the content you've just heard, as a supporting patron, you will receive a number of member-only benefits, including a private Facebook group, access to our weekly Q&A calls, and discounts on future products and services. Details can be found at radicalpersonalfinance.com slash patron. Again, radicalpersonalfinance.com slash patron.